0: My good friend. So I cry a lot, so I'll probably cry here. Um, mm-hmm. I met Michael back in 2013 in my first trip to Kenya. We took a small team from our church here to go there and do some ministry. In particular, I was able to teach in a few different churches and uh, Bible school settings. Michael has been part of a movement of really great church planters in Kenya. There's a, there's a really good chance that if you meet a self-proclaimed evangelical in Kenya, uh, that there's about a 98% chance that they're going to be a very steep prosperity gospel believer. And so if you were to go to one of their worship gatherings on a Sunday, you would, you would almost for sure not hear the gospel. It's very much a focus on wealth and, and health. And Michael and some of his compatriots have been faithful ministers of the gospel in a very difficult place. One of the things that you'll hear from people who know Kenya well is that Kenya has largely been evangelized and reached. And maybe that was true a couple of generations ago, but it's, it's not the case anymore. And so it's a very uh, dark place when it comes to an understanding of the permeation of the gospel. And so uh, I'm so thankful to know Michael and other brothers like him that are ministering uh, there in Kenya and raising up disciples among men and women to love Christ and to start more churches. And so we consider you a close friend even if you don't know all these people yet. Yeah. Uh, this is this will tell you a little bit about about Michael. Last time I was there which was 2014 I guess, the summer of 2014, we had had a chance to to minister together in a kind of a Bible school setting and got to meet his family, a really lovely wife and, and three children. And so, like, maybe a couple of days later, uh, Joseph Masunga, who is another one of our Kenyan friends, and I were, I think, coming back from another city where I had been teaching. And Michael called us and wanted to meet up. And so, somehow, he and Joseph worked it out where we, were, we met under an underpass. I don't know how they figured this out, but he <laughs> he took... He took Uh, the little van taxis, which they call Matatus, and made all these little circuits and connections around the city. And he met us for like four minutes in the rain just to give me a gift. And and that's the heart of this man. He's just a special man who gives of his life constantly to serve uh, the people of his city. Um, He's also an author. He and a couple of other brothers from Kenya have recently written a book exposing the errors of the prosperity gospel and pointing the people in their country and their region back to the, to the hope of the gospel of Jesus. So I'm going to ask him a couple questions, which will lead him to introduce himself a little bit, and then I'm going to give him the balance of his time to to preach. And So, Michael, yes. since you're standing here uncomfortably in front of all these people, let me mm. ask you a couple questions. <laughs> yeah, why, don't you, uh, why don't you tell the Our Church family how you came to faith in Christ, when that was, and, and what that was like several years ago? Yes, the Lord saved me some years back. I
1: can't remember the date and the month, but uh, I was in primary four. In Kenya, we call standard four. We were looking after my grandfather's animal with a friend, and uh, all of a sudden, my friend, we, have start, we started talking about that this world one day will melt away and everything will pass. And we talked many things, but at the end of it, we asked ourselves, Are we ready? And we found ourselves not ready. And we cried to the Lord for salvation in that field. And the Lord saved us. And there was a pamphlet which I was given, and especially Galatians chapter uh, 5, from verse 19 to the end. The Lord greatly used that to transform my life. So that's how
0: the Lord opened my my heart to his glorious gospel, Yeah. yeah. So you've been in pastoral ministry for several years now. How did, how did God move you from where you were initially in a more prosperity gospel setting to where you are now in preaching the gospel in Nairobi? How did God do that? Some
1: years uh, back, I went to a Pentecostal Bible College.
0: Uh, it's called Nairobi Pentecostal
1: Bible College to study Bible and theology. And our pastor, uh, one of our teachers was teaching us the doctrine of salvation and atonement. And he told us that there are Two dangerous men to be avoided, a man called Jacob Arminia and another one called John Calvin. Arminia exalted the, uh, exalted the free will of man, and Calvin exalted the sovereignty of God beyond limit. So we need to balance them. So then uh, I said that already I'm Arminia, but it's not good for me to judge Calvin without reading him. So I went to the co- college library and found the Institute of Christian Religion by John Calvin. And I read the first part, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man. And I wrote a little paper for debate, Calvin is right and Armenia is wrong, no balancing. Yes. (laughs) So that's how the Lord brought me to that background,
0: yes. Michael is an interesting case because he understands the importance of the spirit because we're not just to be theological Trinitarians, but very functional Trinitarians. So, beginning as Michael did in his roots, he understands the importance of the spirit for ministry, but has has partnered that together with very rich theology. So, it's a a really beautiful harmony in the way that he pastors and ministers there in Nairobi. So, I'll ask you one last question, then I'll give you time to preach, okay? Um, Now that you have planted the church in Tassia, which is the eastern side of Nairobi Mm -hmm. and are ministering there. What is your burden for your city? What is your burden for your country as you look forward for the next several years?
1: Yeah, Uh, our burden is to preach the gospel, prosperity, and motivational speaking has really captured our nation, and uh, our goal is to be able to prove uh, claim this true gospel in our country working together with other brothers Pastor Joseph Masunga of Injili Bible Church and there are other brethren Kisumu and Pastor Ken Mbogwa. Uh, we are planning just to put our heads together and even organize conferences that can help uh, speak to our people the true gospel back home. And also we are reaching out to the universities even as I live here on, uh, on Thursday, next week, I'll be preaching at Jomo Kenyatta mm. University of Agriculture. Uh, we are really aiming at reaching people with uh, true biblical teaching. You know, I'm here for a conference, and I want to thank you very much for helping me to come over. I could never have come here. I was telling him, I've never dreamt even one day I'll step in America. And by his grace, I'm here, and through your support, I'm able to be here and We were trained about, uh, at Capitol Hill, about having plural eldership and having church membership and God, by his grace, going home. We are going to try to help not only church where I pastor, but even other churches to model this because it is biblical and healthy for our churches back home.
0: Thank you, Michael. Why don't you preach for us now, okay?
1: Yes, okay. Please then turn with me to 2 Timothy. Because it was read, I'm just going to read verse 11 and 12. I read, "For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Please just bear with me for a while. Can we read again verse 15? you are aware that all they that are in Asia turn away from me, among whom are figalas and homogene. Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. For which I am suffering, bound with chain as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Then chapter 4. Let me begin from verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Verse 16 of chapter 4. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord sued me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Shall we come to him in prayer? Our glorious Lord and sovereign Master, We come before you, O Lord, with thanksgiving and gratitude. Even as we bring forth your word, we know that we are not worthy to proclaim these things. Oh, may you breathe life, O Father, even in this preaching this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is Apostle Paul. He left Timothy at Ephesus, to put things in order. At this particular time, there were people who were undermining the gospel. They were dwelling so much on Jews, genealogy, and myths. And Paul is telling Timothy, my son, you need to remain firm in proclamation of the true gospel. You need to declare this truth. And so this morning, I'm using this passage to preach to you, knowing, or I know who I have trusted. I know who I have trusted. And the reason why I've read those verses is this. When Paul wrote this letter, he was almost alone. When Paul is saying that I know whom I have believed, he is almost alone. We have seen men quoted in verse 15, Figelas and Homogene deserted him. He's saying, you know that they that are in Asia Minor have deserted me, and he singled out these two people. Demas was full companion. In first imprisonment, he was with Paul. But now things were difficult and hard, and Demas fled. And he said that Demas, in love of this present world have deserted me and have gone to Thessalonica. Not only that, Paul expected Christian to stand with him and be on his side. And they turn and run away. He said, in my first defense, no one came to my defense. All deserted me. May that not be counted against them. So I'm saying that when Paul is writing this letter... And saying that I know whom I have believed, he was almost alone. Two, when Paul was saying that I know whom I have believed, Paul was in a poor condition of living. He says, I am chained like a criminal. Later on in chapter 4, you will tell Timothy, come before winter. Later on, if you read chapter verse 16, chapter 1, he says that, Ones oh for us, search for me diligently until he found me. It was not easy. Finding him. Tradition tells us that Paul was in a dungeon that you could only reach through maybe when you were lowered by a rope or a ladder. So he was in that poor condition of living. Not only that, the third thing, Paul was anticipating death. Death this time was inevitable. He says, I am now being poured out. Like a drink offering, the time of my departure has come. Paul is going to die. He's anticipating death. But look what Paul is saying. Let me be alone. I know whom I have lived. Let me be in a poor condition of living. I know whom I have trusted. Let even death itself come. I know whom I have trusted. Do we know him? this morning do you know him the one that we have placed our hope upon the one we are leaning the one we have put our weight upon do you know him apostle Paul saying here I know whom I believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have entrusted to him against that day and the friends are not there and he's alone he you knows that he's on the throne. No matter what happened under the sun, he is on the throne. And I know him. I'll be talking a bit about knowing him. I know him, whom I have puted, put my trust upon. Yesterday, with Brother Harvey, we went to one of the big shops around, and I saw a book written, with this title trust in trump trump trust in trump and i want to tell you who are we trusting upon you who are you where are you trusting what are you trusting where is your hope and where is your faith why was paul suffering verse 11 Let us read together. Why was he suffering? For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Paul is saying the reason why he was suffering was because Christ Jesus appointed him to be a preacher. He was not suffering because he had done any evil. He was suffering simply because of the proclamation of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying also Christ appointed him to be an apostle. We know that this office has ceased. We no longer have apostles. But Paul was an apostle. And Christ appointed him to be an apostle unto the Gentiles. And that's why he was suffering. He was not suffering because of any sin he has done. And then he said also, a teacher of the Gentiles. He was instructing the Gentiles to believe in Christ and to know the Christ. If you read Ephesians and Colossians, his prayer is that they may be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. They may live a life which is worthy of his calling. They may turn from darkness and see this great and glorious light. That's why Paul was suffering. And I want to tell you it is possible for a believer to suffer not only because they have sinned. It is possible for a believer to suffer because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believing and trusting upon Christ and a desire to do his will. Paul was not suffering because of any evil. He's suffering because his trust and his faith in, is in Christ, and he wants him to be known, and he's proclaiming his name. How did he respond then to suffering? I like the way King James Version here put it. The, this one put it, but I am not ashamed. The, in King James will say, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. You know, when you say the word nevertheless, Paul is saying, it is true that I'm suffering. It is true that friends have left me. It is true that I am almost alone. Is it true that I'm going di- to die? But nevertheless, my head is not down. In fact, Greek word for it is emphatic, emphatic. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. My head is not down. In other words, Paul is saying, I am proud of the gospel. I'm rejoicing in the gospel. I'm living for the gospel. The gospel of Christ is my delight. even though I'm facing these difficulties, the Lord Jesus Christ is my delight. I am not ashamed. And how about us, my dear ones? Are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say that nevertheless? When your husband ran away, or your wife deserted, do you leave the Lord Jesus Christ? Or you turn like Paul and say, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I have the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Christians are supposed to visit one another and we need to encourage one another. Oh, thank God I'm seeing you are doing that. But sometimes they can desert you. Paul, friend, ran away. If Christians don't come to visit you in the hospital, will you say, away with Christianity? I thought that it was true. Where were they? Apostle Paul is saying, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Nevertheless, I'm still rejoicing and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say that, my dear ones? Sometimes we go to the hospital and it's a terminal illness. Something which we may require that we depend on medication all our lives. We look up and say, nevertheless, I know whom I believe. Or we say, like Fanny Crossbar, blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, water a fortress of glory divine. This assurance I have, I have the Lord Jesus Christ. I know him. In the midst of these difficulties, I am not ashamed. Why was Paul able to say, I'm not ashamed? You see it there. Because I know whom I believed. Knowing him. Dear friends here, we are saying knowledge is very important. Faith is not believing what we don't know. If you believe what you don't know, that one in Kenya we call ignorance. I don't know how you call it here. Faith is believing what we know. We don't see it with our eyes, but we know it has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ said this, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. So we are not believing what we don't know. We believe. And our faith has got eyes. Our faith sees the resurrected Messiah. Our faith sees the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Paul says this. I am not ashamed because I know the one I have trusted. Primarily maybe. Primarily, his character, knowing who he is. Knowing our God, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. But probably also, Paul may be an old man now. He has walked with the Lord, with the Lord, with the Lord. All those years, he has proved to be faithful in his life. And Paul is saying, I'm acquainted with him. Paul is saying this. I know him when I was on my way to Damascus to persecute his church. He appeared to me on that road to Damascus and asked, told me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? And he opened my eyes to this glorious gospel. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you are here and you are not born again. Can you put your trust upon him? He's a friend of sinners. He's mighty to save. You can encounter him. Don't leave this hall. Don't go home the same. You can leave this house Saying like Apostle Paul, I know whom I believed. I know the one who I'm trusting upon. He changed my life and he transformed me. Paul is saying I know him. This morning I'm asking you, my dear friends. I'm asking you in the name of the Lord. Do you know him? You will not only be ashamed of him if you know him and you know his character. And you know his faithfulness. You will be able to live for this glorious Savior. So Paul is saying, I know him. I know whom I have believed. And let let me just give you an example of how Paul knew him. In the same same chapter, verse 1. Can you read verse 1? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. I know him. He called me to be an apostle and gave me a promise. The promise is life, eternal life. I know him. Even if my friends run away, even if I'm in poor condition of living, even if I'm going to die, I know him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings. God our Father purposed him to come and to save. And there's a promise God has given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That promise is eternal life. I know him. Do you know him as the one who cannot lie? God who is true. Later on, God who is committed, committed to the work of redemption. God who cannot lie made a covenant with Abraham that I'll bless you. God, God making a covenant say he is committed to the work of redemption and gave his beloved God and son that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I know him. He promised me eternal life. Jesus Christ, the son of God. I know him. I'm acquainted with him. That life is here. Even now, he can give it to you. That life is yours, my dear sister, my dear brother in this room. No one can snatch it away from you. God promised it. And he's faithful in keeping his covenant. Have you ever read the book of Joshua? When you read the book of Joshua, what do you see? Do you see Joshua? If you see Joshua, you have missed it. You see, God, who is out fulfilling the promises he made to Abraham, I'll take your children to the foreign land and I'll bring them back here. So the, the river Jordan could not withstand this God. The wall of Jericho could not withstand this God. Those promises, those, those tribes, even 10 tribes combined, could not stop this. In fact, the Bible tells us that the sun stood still when God was actualizing his promises. I know him. I know him. Oh, how the church will be filled with joy and energy to serve this living God if we know the promise that God has given to us. Promise of eternal life. And that promised life is in Christ Jesus, not anywhere else. You are looking for somewhere else? Nowhere else. Apostle Paul says, it is in Christ Jesus. No, when we were young, we used to go to school, and our teachers will tell us to carry banana. They want to teach us grammar. And I'll go, we go to school with a banana. And we'll carry a banana like this. And the teacher asks, the teacher will carry and ask, what is this? And we say, that is banana. Again, what is this? And we say, That is banana. Jesus said this, you know, this is eternal life, that they may know you only through God and Christ Jesus whom thou sent. What is he saying? It's definite, like I was saying, that is banana. This is eternal life, knowing you that only through God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Dear friends, do you know him as the one who has called you, has saved you, with a promise of eternal life, then even when things fall apart and the center could no longer hold them together, you know him, Christ Jesus, the Son of God. And then, look at verse 10. I think from verse 9, he said, You talk about God who saved us. Who saved us and called us with a holy calling. I know him. He's the one who saved us. We can never save ourselves. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were without hope. We were, especially we Gentiles, we were separated from the of Israel. We were object of wrath. But he's the one who rescued us. From the power of sin. I know him. This God has saved us, and even if we talk of this salvation, he planned this salvation in the ages past, even before the foundation of the world. It's not accident, it's not a drama. We are not in drama. It's something which God the Father purposed in the eternity past, even before the foundation of the world. He purposed this salvation, and therefore, things which happen here cannot change it. You look at our world today, no? When I think of America, I think of men like Jonathan Edwards. And I say, when will we experience that great awakening as they experience those days of Jonathan Edwards and others? And sometimes we look as little flocks here and there. But let me tell you that what we are in is not a drama. It's real, no matter how few we may be. It's something which God purposed in the ages past and He revealed it in time by the coming of our Savior. Born or adding unto Himself human nature. Going to the cross of Calvary. Dying our death. Paying our penalty. God the Father resurrecting Him from the dead on the third day that the sacrifice has offered on our behalf has been accepted. Our Lord ascending to heaven where he seated at the right hand of God, now interceding and praying for us and coming back again as King of kings and Lord of lords. He revealed it to time. I know him. And look another thing. Christ Jesus has destroyed death. He has made death ineffective. I know him. Even they're going to behead me. I'm going to beheaded soon. But I know the one I believe in. He has beheaded no, he has conquered death. He has made death infective. In Africa, people fear death. I don't know whether. Somehow, Christianity influenced you people, and we must be thanking God for long, many years of Christianity in America and other European countries, somehow influence you people, that many superstitions are not there. But in Africa, there's a bird. I don't know how to pronounce it. They call it all. This bird just walks at night. You, how do you call, pronounce it? Owl. Yeah. People fear when they hear the voice of that bird, they say somebody is going to die here. And people tremble, you know. It's bad omen. My dear ones, if you know him, we know the one who conquered death on our behalf. And when he comes, we shall be with him and reign with him forever and ever. Dear friends, I'm appealing to you this day. I don't know what situation we may be going through in life. But I'm urging you that our desire is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to know about him. Not to know some things about him. It is possible to know, especially those of us who are biblical, it is possible to know the biblical word some terminology. I don't know whether in America also it happened. It's possible to know when you pray you say you are Elohim. You are El Shaddai. You are Jehovah Jireh. You may know all those things. But if you don't know Christ, you are mistaken. I tell you, it is knowing Christ. Not knowing some theological terminology. Not, not, not only knowing theology and all things about God. But knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith goes until it reaches to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to conclude by saying a words, few words here. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, then, what are some things which can happen to us? I'm borrowing here from a man called J. Packer, in his book, Knowing God. Three things. Number one, we will have energy for Jesus Christ. Look how Paul was committed to him. We'll have zeal to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing was going to stop Paul from Jesus Christ. He started with the Lord Jesus Christ since I saved him. He's now an old man. He's going to die, and he still has got energy. In fact, he's saying, Bring me the parchment. Bring me the books. I want to still read, even though I'm, 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 I'm supposed to die, and I know I'm going to die. He has got energy and zeal for God. When we have got zeal for God and energy to live for Jesus Christ, we know him, we know his character. We know the mercy He has shown us. We know the grace He has shown us. We know the love He has given to us. We know the promises that He has given to us. And we want to make Him known to other people and other nations. And also we want to serve even in the church of Jesus Christ. Because we know Him. Two, we'll have great thoughts about Him. Look how Paul had got great thoughts about God. He is sovereign. He knows that God is on the throne. God who purposes salvation. We know that we have got a great, mighty, awesome God who reigns from everlasting and everlasting, who created this world out of nothing and has done one of the greatest miracles ever, saving men from their sins. And we have experienced his energy, and our thought about God will always be those thoughts which are wonderful. Paul is not crying here. Why me? He's saying, "I know whom I believed." No, I don't know. I cry many times. Pastor was praying uh, about a confession, repentance here, and I need to repent. Many times I do that. I ask, "Why? oh, why have you allowed this to happen to me?" And other thoughts take me away from this great and great thought. About my beloved Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And then it also gives us contentment. It gives us contentment. Just imagine some of you are young ladies who are here and you are not married. And this man has promised to marry you. And Saturday is coming. The pastor has organized everything. And then on Friday night, he tells you, sorry, we are canceling our wedding. You'll be disappointed. Do you go and take rope and hang yourself? Or can you be contented in God and say, your will be done. contentment is something which is lacking in our society. And we want everything to be up, 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 up. Everything to be good. Hallelujah. The Lord is blessing me. I I just pray to have a new house. Here it is. I pray that to have a big, here it is. And I pray, here it is. And you think, oh, and when now some things which are tempting and trials come, we start to give in. It gives us contentment if we know we we'll have trusted. The last one will have boldness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how Paul is bold. He's saying God has rescued me. He rescued me from the mouth of lion. I don't know whether you know lion. <laughs> you know lion. And he's so bold for God. Let me remember some people in history. There's a man called Justin, Justin Martyr. He knew whom he believed. So when he was going to be martyred, when he was going to be killed, they asked him, Justin, do you suppose you will resurrect? He said, I don't suppose. I know. I know. I shall resurrect. There's a man in church history called Polycup. When they arrested him, look at the boldness he had. He said, eight and six years, I served him my savior, and he has done me no wrong. Why should I deny my savior? Who died for me? And he died. I don't have time to tell you about those people who died during the, the Bloody Mary in England. I remember two people. One was Ridley. And Latimer. Once they were being burned together. The other one on the other side, they were facing each other like this. Tied together and burning together. And I think I think that is Latimer who turned and told Ridley, Be of great courage, Master Ridley. By God's grace today, we are going to light a candle in England that no man shall ever be able to put out. Having boldness for God. In our days, we are so coward and so fearful and so self-centered. May the Lord give us courage by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my encouragement to you this morning. I don't have anything to give you from Kenya except that you know Jesus Christ and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we come to him in prayer? Our Lord and our glorious master, we come before you Thank you for thy people that thou have bought by your own precious blood. They are precious in thy sight, O Savior. We pray, O Lord, that they'll know you to be their delight and joy. In even the midst of crisis and hardship that we Christians go through, Oh, Father, we pray that you remember the saints of this church in their homes. In their workplaces, oh Savior, sometimes we hear bad news. Even that the job is gone. What a great thing, oh Lord, that our dear brethren have got the Savior. We have got the Lord Jesus Christ who promised never to leave us not forsake us. Oh, help us to hope in you, oh Lord. Bless thy saints here. The pastor and all, the, all pastors and elders here, oh God, we commit them to you. Oh, help them to lead thy people, always pointing them as they have been doing to the Savior. Oh, we pray for the saints here, that you will be their love, that they may live for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.